0: Hello and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Applegate, and I'm joined today by Hardeep Walia, founder and CEO of Motif. Hardeep is also a Wharton alum. Uh, Motif is a new kind of online broker built on thematic, customizable portfolios of up to 30 stocks and ETFs. Thanks so much for joining us today, Hardeep. We're really happy to have you on the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Matt.
0: Can you start off by just giving us a quick overview of your background and your career? Sure.
1: So I, I graduated from Yale in '95 uh, with a degree in engineering and economics, spent my summers in investment banking when I was at Yale, and then started my career at the Boston Consulting Group. Uh, did that for a couple of years, and then uh, Netscape went public, and that was kind of a a big highlight for me, and it encouraged me to kind of pursue interests in technology, specifically software. And so I joined uh, an enterprise software company called Trilogy, Uh, joined very early. They had explosive growth, and then they kind of imploded. And uh, during that time, I I went to Wharton, uh, did my MBA with class of 2001, interned um, during the summer at uh, Microsoft's corporate development group, uh, went back after business school, did that for a couple of years, and then transitioned <clears throat> into more of an operating role. I was general manager of their enterprise services business. Um, did that for a number of years, and uh, then uh, stumbled across Motif, and
0: here we are. So let's talk a little bit more about your time at Yale. David Swenson was your senior thesis advisor there, and he's managed Yale's endowment for for three decades and was a a pioneer of the Yale model. What did you learn about investing from working with David?
1: Um, So I took my senior seminar with with, uh, Dave, and I think anyone who knows Dave, he's just a a remarkable man. He's able to distill so much complexity uh, into some Guiding principles. And so it's probably the only class I've actually taken on investment management. And it was purely by interest. I really wanted to get to know Dave. Um, and this is, gosh, 20 years ago. And I think the big learning that I remember taking from working with him is investing is all about knowing yourself, knowing your risk. And it sounds so simple. I mean, he had a saying you're either all active or all passive. Anything in between, you're confused. And uh, and so it was just that discipline as an investor to know exactly who you are and know exactly what you want and the risks you're associating, uh, you're, you're willing to take uh, based on that equation.
0: So let's talk about Wharton. Did you have an entrepreneurial instinct when you got to Wharton or was it something that you developed later in your career?
1: Well, I was at Wharton doing some pretty crazy times. Uh, in uh, my first year, everyone was dropping out to startup.com. Uh, and then after the implosion, everyone was rushing back into investing banking. Um, so it was, it was a, a, a very interesting time. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be an entrepreneur, I, it's, but I was in love with technology and I was in love with finance. And so I focused, took almost every class I could in those two disciplines. Um, but no, I, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur and um, really, I, I got pushed into entrepreneurship. Um, I, I, I had honestly some... Uh, uh, I had a terminally ill mother um, and, and, and a not-so-healthy other family member, so I took time off to take care of them, and it was during that time uh, that uh, my interest in Motif and the idea of Motif came about. So it was definitely uh, an act. I was very happy at Microsoft. I don't think if it were for my... Uh, personal mishaps, uh, I don't think I would have left. Um, and so it really was the accidental entrepreneur story.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about how you founded Motif. You know, you talked a little bit about what inspired you, uh, but can you walk us through the yeah. thoughts so, and
1: how, how the idea developed? Yeah, I think uh, uh, for me, I'm I'm, I'm I'm a little bit of a strange person. When I go through tough times, I like to trade stocks. And I like to do that because it forces a state of zen, and I can just focus on something other than what was going on at the time. And I like to invest in things I understand, which for me is technology. So I remember I was reading the story on the rise of the mobile Internet. This is probably circa 2008, 2009. And I did what any Wharton grad would do, is I picked up my phone and called a bunch of people I knew worked on Wall Street, saying, how would you actually invest in the mobile Internet? And I got all kinds of ideas, but it, it's still to, like, just buy Apple. Um, I wasn't happy with the answer, went, called on a bunch of people I knew in Silicon Valley, saying, how would you invest in the mobile Internet? And again, it was not a very fulfilling answer. And and so I did what any uh, a former BCG person would do, is I, I put a survey together. I polled rich, poor, young, old, and asked them the very same question, how would you invest in the mobile Internet? And, and, and it resoundingly came back to a stock here or there, but most people said just buy Apple. And, and they weren't thinking of the chip companies, the cell phone tower companies. And when we built the first mobile Internet uh, portfolio, it was 30 stocks. Um, and there were no ETFs or mutual funds that gave you exposure to the mobile Internet. It was pretty nascent. And if you tried to buy 30 stocks at your online broker, that was $300. But the big uh aha was less about the mobile internet. The big uh aha was people think conceptually about investing. And whether they're a newbie investor or a sophisticated investor, they can express to different degrees of complexity what it is they want to do. The problem they always stumbled into was acting on that expression. So these expressions can take a couple of forms. they can be somatic. I live in Silicon Valley. Every weekend over my house, I see drones flying around. The drones are coming. I say I want to invest in it. That's a form of expression. Um, I might want to buy beaten down stocks in these volatile markets. I don't have the time to do that. But when people panic sell, I want to go buy their stock. Uh, that's more of a, a trading expression. Or I could be very uh, uh, passive and I just want to you know, uh, replicate what Professor Swenson's doing at Yale. Uh, without getting any involvement, uh, that's that's another form of expression. What we do at Motif is we take these investors' expressions, we make them actionable by turning them into what we call a motif. And a motif, very simply, is a thematically weighted uh, basket of up to thirty stocks built around one of these expressions. And you can purchase a motif in one click for the cost of a single stock transaction. That's thirty-three cents a stock in in the basket, um, and. You can put as little as two fifty dollars. You can put a million dollars to work. It'll still cost you nine ninety five. Uh, our customers like to think of Motifs as almost customizable no fee ETFs, but unlike an ETF, they're not pooled investment vehicles. You actually own the fractional shares in your brokerage account, um, and you know it took uh, behind every Motif. There's a complex index <clears throat> that we build, and um, we have a team of PhDs who do that. And a motif is a sample of stocks that track the risk-return behavior of the bigger index. And it took our PhDs a year uh, to build uh, about 100 of these motifs. And then our customers kept coming to us saying, you know, we want to build them too. People like my father who may not know a lot about investing, but he's a retired vascular surgeon and he wanted to build our minimally invasive surgery motif. So everyone knows something about something. And in the time it took our PhDs a year to build 100 of these motifs, our customers ended up building 85,000. I think the last time I checked, there were over 255,000 motifs built. Where I contrast that to about 7,000 mutual funds, you know, 1,300, 1,400 ETFs in the U.S. And it's this ability to take these ideas. Think of us as kind of a Peter Lynch meets Jack Bogle. Interesting ideas, but instead of buying single stocks, which is what a lot of people do today, we create these indexes around the idea that you can now purchase.
0: And so if, if I customize my own motif, can other customers uh, purchase it as well? Or do you have to customize your own portfolio?
1: So you can build a portfolio from scratch. You can customize an existing portfolio. If you build one from scratch, you can choose whether to keep it public or private. Right, And we have a whole complex social model that I'm happy to get into um, because investing is inherently very social, uh, but it's done very differently. But if you choose, if you elect to publish a motif that you've built, your favorite fintech companies, for example, and if you decide to publish it into our catalog, somebody else buys it, you collect a royalty payment. And we introduced the royalty payment to, to incentivize people to put quality product out there and not just pick random names and throw them together. Um, and it's allowed us to actually, you know, encourage people to actually build motifs. Because think about it. Everyone knows something about something. Your dietitian knows a lot about the diets in Vogue. Um, uh, a, a person who works in the oil and gas industry has a good sense of what's going on there. And if you're able to pool this expertise together, you've got a community that effectively has pulled together their collective experience that you can now uh, benefit from.
0: So who, who are your clients? Are you targeting individuals, institutions, or a combination of the two?
1: So we, we, we started with our retail broker uh, when, when, when I founded the company. Uh, we then added an advisor product and an institutional product. Uh, they were built off the same somatic indexes. So we have a somatic index. That we put it through a motif a basket and offer it to retail investors on our brokerage platform. And by the way, you can buy single stocks and the traditional brokerage uh, 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 capabilities we offer as well. We just want to make sure we have a differentiated offer. Uh, if you're a, an advisor, small advisor, you can build portfolios and then allocate them, assign them to different customers uh, very easily, and that's our advisor product. And then on the institutional side, the, the index that we talked about in the beginning that we manage, we are now licensing that to institutions, um, to go offer to their clients, and institutions can be. I'll give you an example. We um, we announced a partnership with Ascent. That's the ultra high net worth arm of U.S. Bank. I think their minimum account size is 200 million, and they've partnered with us to, to take our Somatic indices and run them in their SMA platform. Right. So now we're taking indices that we built, licensing them out, and you're going to see us do more and more deals on motif capital on the institutional side where we take these indexes and we almost embed them in different kinds of financial products. So you're going to start to see that happen later on this year. We've been working on that for quite some time. Uh, and so, but on the retail side that we're well kn- better known for, um, we, uh, we target not, um, I mean, we've got a, a very nice cross section, but we have. I think North of two hundred and fifty thousand happy motifers, as I call them, and um I think the median age is closer to forty uh but we've got a big growth around the millennial demographic now we didn't our early adopters were actually much older they were they were retirees, high net worth retirees our early adopters, and over time we've now built up a a pretty good cross section of customer bases on the retail thing, so we have retail advisor institution uh but retail uh, uh we're 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 really focused on the higher end of mass affluent.
0: do you have a sense for what share of wallet you're achieving uh for these clients as a percentage of their total assets um not sh- I'm not sure if you have any insight into uh portfolios that they might hold at other institutions
1: um we we have a sense i mean it's uh, uh, uh and i would say we, we we're definitely uh, On the lower side of Share of Wallet. Um, And I think that was by design. We went in there trying to get anyone to buy a motif. And now we're offering, uh, we're cross selling to those relationships other products that they've asked us for, right? So we've, you know, we didn't do single stock trading for a while. Now we're the only place where you can actually buy, for example, $5,000 of Apple stock in real time. Right, and again, we, we we did that so that we could offer a differentiated product when it comes to vanilla uh, stock trading. Um, so I think we 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 we're we're now offering more and more products. They're looking for risk management. They're looking for fixed income, and we're going to start to cross sell and grow that share of wallet. Let's
0: let's talk for a second about competitors. So who do you view as your your biggest competitors? Are, are they robo-advisors, traditional brokers, professional investment managers, or, or something different? And, and what differentiates you at the end of the day? Yeah, I'm not sure what a
1: robo-advisor is because it's really a feature set that, frankly, everyone's going to have soon. So the notion of robo-advisor is is going away as kind of a distinct segment. Everyone is building one. Uh, I think we have two sets of uh, competitive uh, 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 sets. The first one is obviously the online broker. That's our entire business model. Um, and we offer you 30 stocks for the price of what a typical online broker would do. So Clay Christensen's innovators dilemmas at play here on why they wouldn't replicate what we do. It's hard to do. And there's a business model conflict there. I think we also compete with ETF players. I mean, you can take I'll pick an example, our modern warfare motif that's trending. Type in your favorite defense stock ETF, and you're going to see uh, that uh, we, in this case, outperform mainly because our weighting methodology is 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 different. Um, and also, we have no ongoing fees. So an ETF will charge you BIPs, and, um, and that will eat away at your return. With us, you have a one-time transaction fee, and there are no ongoing management fees like that. Um, and so those are probably the two um, uh, competitor sets that we we think about. But really, there's more and more opportunity for us to partner in this space. Um, you know, investment managers, we actually partner with them. Uh, they're our, our, our big source of uh, 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 of growth right now through the capital business. Um, so we don't compete with investment managers, um, but we, we're almost a, a sub-advisor to them. We build these models that we can offer them. Um, as a way to do their job better,
0: earlier you mentioned motif capital. Uh, can you tell us more about how motif capital and motif advisor fit into your overall strategy yeah it, it,
1: so when when we started motif advisor, uh, we went to institutions and 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 in, independent uh, uh, investment advisors, and we said, look, why don't you run your your assets on our platform? And a lot of them wanted our models. They liked what we were doing, but the complexity of taking assets from their existing infrastructure and putting on ours was proving to be harder uh, than they thought. So instead, we this was actually one of our customers' ideas. We gave them the models, and they ran it on their platform. So Motif Capital, we're, we're a sub-advisor, to existing wealth managers. Um, and that's kind of one, that was the initial genesis and we, we, we did some interesting partnerships in that area. But more interesting, it really is our plan to get Motif everywhere. So we're going to start to market Motif, not just on the retail platform, but almost with like an Intel Inside uh, type marketing approach. We're going to, you'll see us in the next six months, be, you know, if you're if you're worried about income, you'll be able to offer a motif as a variable annuity for example if you're worried about um risk you might be able to offer a a structured product that has a motif in it so we're going to continue to partner on a lot of different fronts where you can actually take a motif but you can buy it in different forms now right you can buy it embedded in a financial product um, and and that's that's the exciting part you can you know we want motifs to be offered in whatever format you want uh, not just as a retail basket on our platform and that allows us to grow on other people's platforms and not just be focused about moving assets to our platform
0: so at the beginning of the the podcast you were talking about mobile internet and i think mobile is Really, at the top of a lot of people 's minds today, um, I saw that you recently launched an app. Can you talk about your mobile strategy and and what engagement levels have you seen with the app so far since you launched it yeah
1: i i, I 'll confess I think we were behind on where we needed to be on mobile um, and we we didn 't launch a, a a new app. we kind of uh, uh, rebuilt an existing app from scratch. Um, to build a product that was um, really up to date and very competitive uh, with frankly like the best of products on mobile, uh, and so this product uh, solved a couple of things one is uh, our, our our clients were telling us we want access to information right we we, we don 't want just a generic news set we want to know what news is actually affecting our portfolio, and we want that delivered to us with high relevancy and high recency um, and so that was a big. Undertaking to get that to work um, because all of us are tracking our portfolios and we really want to know filter through all the noise that's out there to really tune in on the news that affects me the most. So that was one big thing. The second aspect um, was our storefront. Um, you have, you know, as I mentioned, hundreds of thousands of motifs. How do you find what you're looking for, right? And just like you have over a million apps on your your iPhone, for example. You know, the App Store does a very good job at curating the things you might be interested in. So we applied a a similar App Store type approach to our Motif Store, where you can filter through lots and lots of Motif's out there very quickly and really find something that might be of interest to you. Um, And the ability to do this on a uh, mobile form factor was a fun engineering project and and something that, you know, I I think the team did a a terrific job at. So I encourage you to download our app on the app store and uh, tell us what you think. And in terms of engagement, um, yeah, we've, we've seen our, um, I think it's been out two weeks now um, and we've seen our engagement uh, triple during that time. So getting product right really has, tangible benefits and you just see it in data. And that's the that's the good thing about being in the world that we live in. Um, you've got tons of data that you can instrument and, and really figure out is it working, is it not working. So we're pretty, pretty excited about our mobile app.
0: So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the most attractive growth segments that you see uh, going forward. You, you know, earlier you mentioned millennials. Uh, there's talk about, you know, uh, penetrating the 401k market, what what are the most attractive opportunities in your view? I, I think for
1: us, I mean, there this is a very large industry. And I think the challenge often for most companies of this space is focus. So I think right now we are focused on, you know, our current retail segment. Um, and I think, you know, we're offering um, a, a, a lot of different uh, new products to our retail segment. And you'll see more about it in the next few months. I think this space is very competitive. You've got to continually innovate. Um, So for us, I think, you know, millennials are obviously uh, uh, a huge growth opportunity. By the way, there is a motif for that, that we just launched a couple of weeks on on CNBC. And the, um, you know, serving them is, is a little different than serving the traditional mass affluent. So we're definitely looking at that segment them it is our fastest growing demographic uh, on our retail platform Uh, and in terms of other new growth areas I think you know we're going to start to do some really complex financial products but they're delivered so easy that a sixth grader could use them and and specifically right now we're focused on things like hedging uh, things like tax optimizations really really interesting stuff but our goal is to do it in a way that actually makes it super easy to use uh, and if you've not played uh, uh, with, with our product, I mean, you can go in on our motif, click customize, move these sliders around, and very easily uh, change the underlying weighting of your portfolio or even adjust it. And it's, it's done in a way that's super easy. I know I have two young girls, and even they can customize their motif. Um, and we're trying to keep that ease of use, that intuitiveness, as we develop more and more sophisticated products. So I think risk management is one of the most exciting growth areas because in these markets, that's what our clients are looking for. And no one, nobody does it particularly well.
0: So how do you balance offering complex financial products and more sophisticated uh, products with suitability, Uh, just making sure that customers truly understand the the products that they're investing in and uh, making sure that uh, they're not taking on more risk than than they're aware of.
1: Well, I, I think that's a good question. I think two things. One is we target self-directed investors. Uh, two, there there are a bunch of things we do um, to make sure people don't get themselves into trouble, but but our focus is really to target self-directed investors. Uh, one thing we do, for example, we, we don't do penny stocks or pink sheets. So we there's that's not a good. There's a lot of risk in that segment. We don't even offer them on our platform, for example. And that was one way uh, we we tackled with the notion of people getting in. Secondly, we've made investing very easy. If you look at any of our motif, we've distilled you know how you should think about it from a valuation perspective, how you should think about it from a risk perspective. We've got these very intuitive dials that you can take any motif and and, and and really get a better understanding of what you're getting yourself into. Uh, and then secondly, remember, you, anytime you buy a motif, you're buying typically 20 to 30 stocks in a motif. Um, so you're diversifying yourself. And as you start to buy three, four, five motifs, you've got a broad-based uh, portfolio that's very low cost, that is completely transparent. And if you don't like anything in it, uh, you can change it. Very few products out there give you that level of transparency, give you that la- le- level of control where you can go in and, and delete it, uh, a stock or add another stock. You see BP has an oil spill. You want BP out of all of your holdings. You can do that with Motif. You can't do that with a traditional fund product. So we we obsess about empowering investors, giving them the right tools and making it easy uh, to do. And, and then on the areas where there is a lot of risk and stuff, some of them in the case of you know pink sheets, bullets and boards. We, we don't even offer them.
0: So you, earlier you talked about uh, partnerships, and um, you know I'd be interested in learning more about how you view the next stage of growth for Motif. What, what are the pros and cons of going public versus staying private? How do you think about acquisitions? What, what's next? Um, I think,
1: you know, I, I haven't even started to think about the private and public debate, although I, I, I did get asked that question recently by one of my board members. Um, so I, I need to have an informed view. I, I, you know, you get very uh, consumed uh, running a, a business like Motif, um, but that's that's something that, you know, I have a perspective, but I don't think uh, um, it's fully thought through, so I won't share at this point. I think, in terms of acquisitions and stuff like that, again, it's you know people are very opportunistic. It's a pretty tough time in the market right now, so there are some cheap assets relative to cheap assets, uh, and there is an opportunity to go in i think I think the most interesting opportunity for Motif right now is global, it's going international, and we've uh, we've been working on that with select geographies that we we see a lot of high interest. And a high interest is, is really driven by the number of clones of motif in that particular country. <laughs> and, uh, and there's certain ones where they're as high as 50 or more. And we're, we're looking closely at those uh, geographies. And I think a lot of our partnerships and strategic plays will be global going forward. Um, there's a lot of growth in the U.S., uh, but some of these markets are particularly interesting to us. So we're, we're very focused on the global front right now.
0: Let's talk about innovation, right? So uh, um, last year, Motif was named the most disruptive company in fintech uh, by Benzinga. And I noticed that for the second year in a row, Motif has been named one of the most innovative companies in finance uh, by Fast Company. So what, and what is it? CNBC, innovative- we were the
1: disruptor two years in a row on the CNBC list. We're very uh, pleased with that, too.
0: Yeah, so it seems like there's, you know, general consensus in the industry that that you're really at the forefront of of innovation here. What, what what does the innovation process look like at Motif, and how do you ensure that you're continually staying ahead of the curve?
1: My biggest nightmare is waking up and seeing the big guys in our industry uh, achieve what we've done, what we've taken five years to do. Um, they've been able to accomplish that in five months. And then within a few weeks, they're bigger than everyone in, in, in the fintech startup space. So we, we ensure, I mean, that's, that's, that's been my worry about the robo-advisor space, for example. Um, when when everyone can clone your model in five months and build, frankly, a better product, that's just tough as a startup to go up against the big guys. So one of the the clear rules I have is we want to offer a differentiated product uh, that has some form of a competitive edge. And so we either it can be from a deal front. We launched, a, for example, an exclusive deal with J.P. Morgan where they we partnered together to offer um, uh, their IPOs to retail on the platform, right? So now I've got a competitive edge there. Um, it can be an, a pure product innovation. Part of what enables the motif model, the fact that you can trade 30 stocks for the cost of a single stock transaction and make it high margin has a lot to do with the underlying technology uh, because the core heart of Motif were algo traders, except our algos are designed to commoditize costs. So we have a, a business model and a technology advantage there. But I think generally, like we obsess about doing things that are hard to do, that are hard to clone and copy. So even the fact that we are the only place where you can trade... Uh, in dollar terms, not share terms right uh, we, we i didn 't want to do single stock trades because I figured every other brokerage platform does that, but when we figured out how to do dollar based on, in addition to share based but in uh, dollar based investing uh, in real time you know that that's that 's hard to do and and that 's why we we continue to put a high bar on what we take to market that 's kind of essence number one hard to diff- difficult to emulate. Uh, I think the other thing we do is ease of use we've We've killed so many products, my poor product team um that I thought were too hard or too complicated and we assess about making things easier and easier and easier and If you come to our site, you'll notice how easy it is to use and that's by design All right We do a lot of usability testing um and and even you know with the trade off is between a cool feature and an easy to use feature, we'll go with the easy to use version um, because we obsess about making our product intuitive. So I think you want a differentiated product, you want to make it easy to use, and the economics have, have to make sense. There are so many businesses in the fintech space where they confuse, for example, a retail customer acquisition model with a institutional monetization model. You've got to get the business model right. You've got to make sure you're not playing lost leader anymore, you're not playing low margin product, you've really got to have a high margin offering. So those are just some of the things that factor in to our calculus when we think about innovation and what is fit enough to take to market versus where do we have to keep trying.
0: So we've talked a lot today about the success of Motif, growth, um, future opportunities, but I, I have to believe that there there have been some bumps along the way. So can you talk to us? A about, lot of bumps. Yeah, I can imagine, right? So what what what's the biggest challenge that you have faced so far? And, and maybe you can talk about um, you know maybe a, a big mistake that you've made and what you learned from it.
1: Um. So uh, the, where to begin? I I think the 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 biggest challenge for Motif. Frankly, for companies in this space, is how to grow, uh, continue to grow, um, in volatile markets. Right? Unlike most startups, that you know, all startups, and, you know, they'll tell you that almost all startup success is driven by the market. And some very famous uh, venture capitalists have said, 80% of the success is driven by market. So you can't fight a, a market that's working against you. Um, but for us, it's we're, we're directly tied to the market by our very nature. So uh, we we are affected by, you know, public-private markets in a generic sense like any other startup in Silicon Valley. Uh, but because our core operations is tied to the market, that introduces a, a, a lot of challenges. And so, you know, revenue tends to be very volatile just as the markets tend to be volatile, right? Because there are customers that love volatility. There are customers that don't. So the the challenge, and this is true of most companies in this space, is how do you continue to grow? Because we, we we're not in the 90s anymore. And if you look at like some of the big successes in this industry, they've had bull markets as tailwinds. Now we have the markets that we do have as headwinds. How do you continue to to grow in that? And that's been that's been continually challenging. We've continued to innovate. We've continued to push. And frankly, you've, you've got to adjust your product portfolio pretty quickly to cater to the, the, the market sentiment that's now, and it takes time to build products. So getting that equation has been, uh, has been a constant challenge lately, uh, especially. Um, in terms of biggest mistakes, I think the, uh, my biggest mistakes re- revolve around talent um, and coming to terms with the fact that the people who built your first phase of your company um, are not necessarily ready to take you through the next phase of growth, and that's a very painful learning because you you you, you obviously get very close as a team, um, and and so really being able to make those decisions are are um, you know getting it wrong uh, is is where you end up um, <laughs> paying a heavy price. So really being smart about talent, knowing when they're ready, knowing if they can scale, knowing when. Um, uh, they can 't um and you know mistakes in that area uh obviously are, are you know they hurt you they hurt the company um and so getting that right i think that's 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 kind of been uh, uh that 's true of most startups that go through this growth phase really getting that really being disciplined about that um because it 's hard when you 've got it's very it's very hard to bring in new team members um when you when you know when you've you've known a lot of the early team from day one, and so we've made that transition uh, about 18 months ago, and we've uh, we've hired some terrific talent. Uh, Bill Irie, who just joined us, for example, uh, earlier this year, he was a head of product and engineering from Intuit. So we're we're hiring amazing talent um, that can actually help us grow, um, and and you want people around you at this stage. That are smarter than you, that can teach you, uh, that can help the company grow, but also uh, really are better than you um, in what you're trying to achieve. And so you know we hired Paul Schmidt, he was a former divisional CFO from Microsoft. He's our new CFO, uh, so we've, we brought in amazing talent, but getting those things wrong in the early days um, definitely uh, um, is a mistake I, I could have handled better.
0: Let's switch gears again and talk about trends in the market. So, what what are some of the best themes that you see um, today in terms of uh, the motifs that you offer?
1: Oh boy, where do I begin? Uh, um, it really depends on you know your risk timeline, as we just talked about. But generally, I mean, I I, I like the digital dollar space, uh, payments, China opening up. This year. um, I think I personally would uh, have a lot of interest in that area. I have a lot of interest in demographics generally, not just with the millennials, but the aging of America and the subsequent trends that that relates. Uh, So that's an area that I'm particularly interested in. And then, you know, on the tech side, I think a lot of the, even some of the trends that have been hit hard lately, uh, like you know, cyber security is is an area I'm I'm always keenly interested in, and even on a more political thing, kind of our national security, and you know, looking at political instability, and trying to ascertain you know some investment themes around that. Uh, unfortunately, those are more depressing than anything, but that's that's something that 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 I look at uh, quite often as well. And I think you know the elections are coming up. There are a lot of trends that are going to come through based on these. Oh, I think we've got a them for almost every election issue. Uh, so we're watching that to see if it informs us on anything. Um, so there, there are a lot of themes, but it really depends on time horizon and, and what kind of risk you're willing to take.
0: What's your view on the future of mutual funds and ETFs, You know, everything from active ETFs to passive ETFs and smart beta? Uh, where where is the industry heading in terms of the investment vehicles that will be most common going forward? Um,
1: so yeah, I, I I always struggle with terms like active ETFs, uh, uh, and I know they're they're in vogue right now. I I think the uh, the trend towards the ETFs. I'm a huge fan uh, of the ETF, um, and I think the the trend that's already happening of them taking away assets from mutual funds. I think that will continue. Uh, at a more accelerated pace. I think right now within the ETF world, there's kind of two big problems. You've got kind of cheap beta, and that's a function of scale. Uh, and then you've got everyone else, and that's a function of branding and distribution. But I think the ETF ha- industry has its own sets of challenges. Um, and we, we see ourselves augmenting that space versus directly competing with that space uh, because as you create global products, Um, uh, as our Motif Capital is looking to do, we're going to have to partner with companies in that space uh, to get global distribution because it's very hard to distribute a platform. Our platform doesn't federate well. So uh, in general, big fan of the ETF space. um, And I think there'll be more and more innovation in that area. But I think it won't be around the uh, the, just the cheap beta. I think the big guys uh, own that space. uh, And I think it's about what else can you, Put out there, that's pretty differentiated. And there've been some interesting innovations. Active being one form, although you know, I, I don't know if that's. Uh, um, uh, we'll see how how well that takes off. But I think there've been lots of innovations in the ETF space lately that I think uh, are going to do well. And and we're 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 going to have to figure out something to do ourselves in that space.
0: What about regulation? There's there's been a lot of focus on um... Increasing regulation in the financial services industry and investment management, are there any trends that you're watching closely and, and how might they impact your business model
1: yeah I, I'm so uh, um, I have to be careful what I say because I am on the advisory board to um, so I, I, I think let me keep it generic the the uh, you know there are obviously a lot of trends, right Just the use of technology itself. Uh, there was something called Cards, uh, which was a uh, surveillance program, if you will, to help root out fraud in the industry. Um, it didn't take off uh, this round, uh, but I think eventually you're going to see the use of technology versus rule writing to regulate, and I think that's a very good thing uh, and, and something that I'm hoping takes off more because writing a bunch of rules, you know, whether you call it, you know, there's this big debate in the industry on, on, on the role of the fiduciary, uh, you know, for the most part, if someone's going to commit fraud, they don't care whether they have a fiduciary standard or not, right? So uh, it really is about being smart about the costs of rolling these new rules out. Uh, I spend an inordinate amount of my time, I think uh, almost 20% of my time, either dealing directly or indirectly with regulatory and compliance issues. Um, So it is a huge tax on a startup. And I think that's something that most startups in this space either get right or get wrong. Right. So we've, we've uh, uh, spent a lot of time engaging with regulators. Um, We have uh, some very senior folks on our board, you know, the the former SEC chairman, Arthur Levitz on our board, Carl Stern, former chairman of the Boston consulting group. He was also at Goldman Sachs. And, you know, we have a, you know, the uh, uh, CEO of JP Morgan's private bank uh, and uh, uh, the head of principal investing at Goldman on our board. So we we're 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 very cautious um, on what we do and making sure everything is compliant, even if it's at the expense of growth, because in the long term, you can't afford to get the regulatory aspects wrong. And we spend uh, a lot of time on these issues uh, because, you know, we're 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 when you innovate you're truly playing in the gray area and making sure there's an informed perspective on that is pretty important so um and then a lot of startups you know prior to starting motif um you know we were looking at uh actually while we were starting at other companies in the valley and how they dealt with regulatory issues and it boiled down to kind of two things either you engage and it slows you down or you put your head in the sand and just hope they won't catch up to you. Um and, and and you know, we've always we've always taken the path of working with our partners, our board, our regulators to make sure there's a good understanding of um what we're doing and, and the, the the regulatory perspective on it. Um because we do fall into that gray area. So it's a huge advantage if you can get it right.
0: Just one more question before you before we wrap up here. Uh, based on what you've learned over the course of year, what advice would you have for students uh, looking to enter Fintech or even the broader financial services industry?
1: Well, I'm, I'm more of a technologist than the financial services industry. Um, the, I think a couple of things. I think if you're truly looking to innovate in Fintech, really make sure you have a differentiated product that's hard to emulate because um, the large financial institutions are very interested you know a lot of them sit on our investors and in our in motive um they they're very smart in what they want. and 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 it's not like um uber trying to disrupt the taxi industry right uh, they're very smart they have a, they're watching this the evolution of the fintech space so if you want to do something of value, you've got to do something that's pretty well differentiated and less of a me-too, right? Because they 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 are capable of building um, a, a lot of products once it's out there. So you, you want to be careful on that. Secondly, I think you'll be uh, amazed at how much capital. Uh, I never uh, fully got grasped that when, when I first started at Motif, how much capital is required for fintech companies in general. Um, and they, you know, you you can never raise enough money. We've raised 126 million dollars to date, um, and and I think that aspect you've got to be um, really um, aware of, because you're 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 most people come into the space thinking that oh it's it, it won't require that much capital, and I think it it always surprises. Uh, it surprised me, and I know the other CEOs in the fintech space, um, they've also been raising a larger pools than they thought when they originally wrote their business plan. So I think it is capital intensive. It takes time to scale. Um, and it's all about branding and distribution at this point. So really you've got to have a an intelligent play on how you work uh with building a brand and getting distribution. Um and the we, we covered the how important it is to really have a, a differentiated offering. Um, so those are the things I I I'd, I'd put out there for people looking to enter the fintech space. And I think on the financial services arm, um, I think the industry is changing, right? There are parts of the financial services industry today that will get disrupted. There are other parts that are going to get stronger. So really making sure you have a view on where you want to play and whether you want to join a fintech startup or actually go work for a large... Also, I think there's a huge demand now for you know, MBA talent that actually understands technology. Um, And and I think focusing while you're at Wharton on, you know, I took a lot of great classes there and worked with uh, professors on on really understanding innovation and technology. I think that'll actually help you uh, even if you want to head to Wall Street. I think that skill set is in high demand right now. um, And I think it'll get even stronger going forward.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Hardeep. We really, really enjoyed having you on the podcast, and this is a very interesting conversation. We uh, look forward to continuing to work together uh, going forward.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me.